Welcome to DevelopLex, a middle tech production hosted by me, Weston Lockhart, and Evan Knowles. This series will focus on the ins and outs of real estate development and investing, where we'll have the opportunity to sit down with the developers of our cities, veterans of the industry, and key people that have over time made a massive impact on communities and neighborhoods. The purpose of this series is to be able to bring a knowledge base to our audience beyond that of what reading a book or watching a how-to video ever could, and educate from those who have done it by hearing their stories, both good and bad, along the way. We feel that historically the learnings of real estate have been inaccessible without being connected, and we would love to open the doors to the next generation of doers, as well as shine a light on how visions of community have been brought to life. We hope you enjoy. Before diving in, we'll get a quick word from our sponsors. DevelopLex is sponsored by SVN Stone Commercial Real Estate, a full-service commercial real estate firm located in Lexington, Kentucky, affiliated with the SVN International Network, which is comprised of over 1,600 advisors and staff and 200-plus offices across the globe. The SVN Stone team consists of experienced commercial real estate advisors in the heart of the bluegrass. SVN provides commercial real estate services to large corporations, middle market businesses, and individual entrepreneurial investors. Serving the greater Lexington area, SVN offers advisory services for sales, leasing, management, and development of commercial properties locally, regionally, and nationally. With transaction volume of over $400 million, the advisors at SVN Stone Commercial Real Estate have vast experience and deep understanding of all aspects of commercial real estate. We are also sponsored by Community Trust Bank. Community Trust offers a wide variety of home loans, commercial loans, and small business loans to suit your financial needs, as well as mobile banking, internet banking, and building. Their friendly and professional staff would love to assist you at one of their six Lexington locations. Community Trust Bank is committed to building communities built on trust. Member FDIC, equal housing lender, subject to credit approval. We are also sponsored by Lexington Pavement Suite. Lexington Pavement Suite is a full-service property maintenance company operating in Central Kentucky, specializing in parking lot sweeping, day portering, landscaping, and snow removal. From established retail properties to construction sites and everything in between, whether your property needs a daytime presence or a nightly sweep, Lexington Pavement Sweep will be there to ensure your property is starting the day pristine. Lexington Pavement Sweep is proud to be a part of Develop Lex, bringing the best of the best to all listeners. Welcome back to Develop Lex. Uh, today we have Brittany Rothmeyer on the podcast. Uh, and disclaimer: this is going to be a little bit of a longer episode uh, because uh, Brittany works in an industry um, and advocates for growth in Lexington, and that is just uh, something that for Develop Lex we feel is really important, and we have a lot of things to hit. So, uh, so this will be a little bit of a longer episode, but you'll want to stay tuned uh, till the end. I'm sure because it's very important. So welcome on to the podcast, Brittany. Well, thank you all so much for having me. I'm really happy to be here, and I'm really happy to be talking about Fade Alliance with you all. So I am originally from Union in Boone County in northern Kentucky. So I was born and raised there and came to Lexington to go to college at Transy. And I fell in love with this city. And I stayed after Transy, and I went to the University of Kentucky College of Law, um, graduated from UK in 2011, and started practicing law here in Lexington. So when I graduated, a, a lot of a lot of friends of mine came to Lexington for college and then went back to Northern Kentucky, settled in Cincinnati area, and were so shocked that, you know, I was staying in the city that a lot of people think of as a college town. And I, you know, it was interesting for me to explain to people why I fell in love with it. I felt like Lexington had this identity that I feel like Northern Kentucky didn't necessarily have. And I, I just fell in love with the people and, and the way people related to Lexington. And I saw the potential it had to become not only just or not only be just a college town, but become this really connected, warm, like exciting place for young professionals. So I was really excited to, to build my own connections in Lexington, which I didn't have, um, and, and really make a life for myself here. So when I graduated from law school, 
I did a little bit of workers' comp, um, some insurance defense, which was really interesting um, and a great learning experience. And then I went to McBrayer and practiced real estate law. And so that is what I did for the majority of my career. And I, I loved it. Um, I did transactional real estate work. So worked, uh, did a lot of residential work, did a lot of commercial work, worked with a lot of, of folks around town and really learned a lot about Lexington, um, the development and real estate landscape and um, and learned a lot about how the city operated. Very awesome. Cool. So you went to McBrayer. And then now we're having you on because you are the executive director at Fayette Alliance. Can you explain to our listeners what the Fayette Alliance is? Sure. So, you know, going into the nonprofit world, and I'll, and I'll go into what Fayette Alliance is and, and um, the fact that we're a nonprofit, of course, was not something that was on my radar. So I was not looking to leave private practice, was not looking to go to a nonprofit. But some of the work that I did as a real estate attorney was around um, conservation easements, actually. I, I did some legal work for the Bluegrass Land Conservancy and learned about that side of, of the easement work as it relates to um, farmland and conservation. And so that was kind of my foray into that sort of land use. And when I was approached about coming over to the Fade Alliance, I thought, how how do my skills as a real estate attorney or as an attorney in general translate into the nonprofit world? And I found so many different connections. And that kind of leads me into talking about Fate Alliance as an organization. So Fate Alliance is a nonprofit uh, dedicated to achieving smart, equitable, and sustainable growth here in Lexington. And we do that work through land use advocacy, education, and research. So it's from an organizational standpoint, um, planning and zoning policy, as, as uninteresting as that may seem to so many people, is really the foundation of our community. Um, it is the the, we call it the building blocks of our economy and our quality of life um, and just the way that we get from point A to point B and the way we experience our city is all really rooted in planning and zoning policy. And so our goal is to educate um, on critical land use issues that that impact all of us as community members. Um, we support advocacy. Um, we advocate at City Hall about smart growth land use policies, and we do research. So our one of our priorities is to fund independent research and objective data-driven research that supports our education and our advocacy efforts. Uh, and again, to, to us, planning and zoning is really the foundation of the community. Um, these policies, again, impact our economy and our, our quality of life and, and, frankly, our future. And so I'm curious, um, so Fate Alliance is are there organizations like the Fayette Alliance in other cities or is this unique to Lexington or how how did that get started? That's a great question. So our organization was founded in 2006 and we have identified other similar organizations across the country. Um, there aren't very many of them, but we have um, had conversations with some of those groups, whether that's in Portland. Um, we've had a lot of communication with a group in Charlotte um, called Sustain Charlotte. That's very similar to what we do here at Fate Alliance. Actually in Florida, there are a couple of groups that are similar to us, but we consider ourselves to be very unique. Um, and, and again, started in 2006. So we're celebrating 15 years of the founding of our organization this year, which is a really exciting milestone. And it was started to create an, an organized voice for responsible and thoughtful and balanced development here in Fayette County um, and, and policies around growth. And so before Fate Alliance was founded, there really wasn't a collaborative group of voices outside of the city government that said, are we thinking about the way that we're growing? Are we looking at data and research to ensure that we're doing it in a smart way that's sustainable for the future? Um, and are we doing it in a way that ensuring that the way we grow will protect all that makes our community so extraordinary while also meeting the needs of our community? And so for the founders of our organization, it really the question was not if we grow, it's just how we do it. And so they formed to, to make an organized voice to, to weigh in on those issues. And 15 years later, we're still doing it. That's awesome. So in the 15 years that Fate Alliance has been around, what sort of things have you all researched? Or um, what does a year look like in Fate Alliance that you all are educating on, advocating on, um, and uh, just doing general amazing stuff in the community? Sure. That's a great question. And I would say since I joined in spring of 2019, 
it's every month has been different. Um, and, and that really depends on what's going on in the community at any, any given time. And what I'm really proud of at our organization is the way that we prioritize adapting to our community's needs. The conversations around growth and around land use advocacy um, and development are always changing. And so for us, it's really important to be nimble and, and to recognize what the biggest issues are in the community and, and, and work on those issues in particular. So that being said, our work always changes, um, but want to highlight what's, I think, upcoming this year and kind of what we worked on in the past year as well. And so um, I think we'll probably get into it, but the comprehensive plan is a vision, a long-term vision for community growth here in Lexington. And that comprehensive plan is updated in our community every five years. And so a big part of that is land use policy. And so that is a really important part of our work. And so in the year upcoming, we'll be updating um, the comprehensive plan. It will be the 2023 comprehensive plan. And so that is shaping a, a lot of our work. Um, so in the past, in the in the lead up to that, um, we've done numerous research studies. Since we were founded in 2006, we funded over 10 um, over 10 independent research studies. Um, a couple of those I would like to highlight because they've been so impactful in our work and I think in the way that this community has grown and changed. Um, number one was a study that we did in partnership with the University of Kentucky called the Economic Impact of Agriculture. And so for us, um, part of our work is, and our vision for this community is that what makes us so extraordinary is the connection between our vibrant urban community and our really productive bluegrass farmland. Um, and so those together make our community what it is. And so for us, in order to protect and promote the farmland that makes us such a unique community, we really wanted to dig in from a research perspective and say, what is the impact of, of, of agriculture here. I think a lot of folks value this community because you can drive outside of the city for 15 minutes and, and be in farmland and, you know, driving through our beautiful green spaces. But our farmland um, it is not just beautiful green space. It's this incredibly productive factory floor of our economy. And so for us, this question was what in, you know, from, from a numbers perspective, from a data perspective, how much does agriculture contribute to our economy? So we hired the folks at UK to, to look into this. Um, and, and what they found was so significant and really um, helped us to shape our educational efforts and to shape our advocacy around this information. And so what the economists found was that on an annual basis, agriculture has a $2.3 billion impact in Fayette County. $2.3 billion impact on our annual economy. Um, it provides one in 12 jobs here in Fayette County. Um, it provides $8.5 million to our payroll tax um, revenue um, and another $1.3 billion in, in dividends and interest and such. In addition, our farmland supports a $2 billion tourism industry. So there's these really immense um, and significant ways that agriculture contributes to our economy other than being really beautiful to look at. Mm. And so for us, that has just been really critical in saying there's a reason that promoting the farmland that exists in Fayette County is such a key piece of what we do. Yeah, candidly, um, I had no idea about those stats. I heard you speak a few weeks ago, and that was a, a big proponent to wanting to have you on. But um, I think um, I grew up in Lexington, um, stayed around. I feel like we kind of align with the fact that um, there are a lot of people that move away and maybe move to Nashville or Atlanta or Chicago or wherever it might be that um, they see new exciting things happening. And, um, you know, I think that a lot of the people at Develop Lex kind of see Lexington as one of those places that um, young professionals can be. And, but a lot of that has to do with we want new exciting development and uh, that's rooted in we want commerce. So I don't I don't think that a lot of people know um, the volume that agriculture contributes to our commerce in Lexington because I right. I had no, I figured they were just pretty horse farms. <laughs> I, uh, I understand, <laughs> and that there were just really rich people that uh, owned those horse farms. Um, so that's really interesting. So um, how did how have you all typically? advocated for uh, those stats like how are you putting those stats out to the community or how have you been able to broadcast that to try to change the um, perception of 
our commerce? Sure. I think that's a great question. And that's why I love I love talking about this study in particular, because I think that it's something that that people just really don't know about Lexington, even like you said, having grown up here, having kind of experienced and, and, and understanding how, you know, our rural land contributes contributes to our quality of life. And the way that we really try to get that information out there is through our educational programming. And so, again, one of the the three main parts of our mission is to educate our communities on things like this. And so we have a couple of different educational programs. Our signature educational program is called formerly Citizens Planning Academy, now called Grow Smart Academy. And that is a four-week course. This will be the 12th year that we've done that educational course. So we've educated over 400 folks through that course, um, which has been really exciting for us constantly trying to, to grow that and reach more and more people across the community. But that is a four-week course um, on exactly what we're talking about today on land use policy, how it interacts with our economy, how farmland is a part of our economy, but also the ways that we advocate um, in addition to farmland for economic development and, and for housing um, and so on and so forth and some of the other things I'm sure that we'll get into. And so that four-week program is a really key part of how we educate people about this information. Um And then one of our new programs I did want to highlight today um, that's actually upcoming that we'll be launching this spring is called Smart Grow Grow Smart Ambassadors. Um, And so this program was really born out of the idea that we want to empower people in the community to be their own advocates, um, to be able to advocate about the things that they care about um, and have the tools to do so. And so what we are going to be doing uh, beginning in March, um, Tuesday, March 1st, and Tuesday, March 8th will be the spring session. We'll also host um, a Smart Growth Ambassador session in the fall. Um, but over the course of those two evenings, we will be educating people about how to be an advocate in your neighborhood, with your network, with your family and friends, um, and, and educating you about land use issues. So we certainly encourage, if you're interested in these types of issues and interested how to make your voice heard, um, and make real impacts on the way that our city shapes policies around these things, would absolutely encourage you to, to, um, to sign up, to check out our website and learn a little bit more about these programs because it's through programs like this that we not only try to educate our community members, but hope that ed- in educating them, they will pass that along to the next person mm-hmm. you talk to so that, you know, as, as you all are talking with your friends and family, because these questions about growth really impact every single one of us. And people don't say to themselves, if they're not maybe involved in agriculture, how does that really impact me? And I, I completely understand that. Mm-hmm. And so I'm hopeful that that continuing to spread this information and, and really talk to people about it um, helps people make that connection between, you know, living in Lexington and how, you know, our farmland or our agriculture does impact them and their quality of life and the way that our that our um city function. So in addition to the Smart Growth Ambassador Program and our Grow Smart Academy, um, we also will do about once a quarter, we do a Grow Smart Academy 2.0 session. And so we'll be inviting um, different speakers, whether those are local speakers or national speakers in to talk about these important issues. And our next Grow Smart Academy 2.0 will be happening in April. And that will be focusing on on the table. Um, which is going to be a citywide event happening from April 10th to April 16th. Um, And those will be citywide conversations to provide input on the comprehensive plan. So we want to talk about um, the comprehensive plan in general during that session and and the ways that that people can, again, be advocates and provide their own input. So we've got a few of those different educational programs that we try to use to get as much information out as possible. Um, and then, of course, talking to, to folks like you all, um, you know, doing different presentations around town to the Rotary Club, um, to the Commercial Property Association of Lexington, to all these different groups and trying to have a collaborative conversation about what this information is and how we can all work together to, to move it forward in Lexington. So to get to the bare bones of um, like the comprehensive plan. So you mentioned earlier, every five years, um, last one was done in 2017. Um, we have something coming up right now on the table is going to be a big part of it. What is the comprehensive plan? What does that look like for both the people that are developing in Lexington, also living in Lexington. Um, what what does that look like? 
Sure. So uh, the comprehensive plan, you know, like you said, we'll be updating it for 2023. And the comprehensive plan by statute is something that we come back to every five years. And so here in Fayette County, um, we have traditionally done, you know, a larger update than some other counties do every every five years. And what the comprehensive plan is, is a roadmap. It is a long-term 20-year roadmap for how Lexington is going to grow and develop. And so the last um, comp plan was done, you know, officially it was the 2018 comp plan. It's called Imagine Lexington. And that is what we're currently working under. Um, and that really provides a framework for growth and development. Um, and so for all of us, um, you know, it acts as that roadmap and says, these are our priorities as a community. This is what we're going to focus on. Um, and in addition to that, so the goals and objectives of the comprehensive plan lay out our priorities as a community. And so the main themes of the goals and objectives are transportation, um, housing, quality of life, the economy and job growth, and then our urban and rural balance. Um, and of course, you know, as, as I was speaking to, those are all issues that we really try to focus on at Fate Alliance, those pillars of our community. Um, and then in addition to the goals and objectives section, which really covers from a broad perspective those themes, there's also um, strategic implementation section of the comprehensive plan, which really dials into how we're going to achieve those priorities and, and those big picture goals and objectives. And so there are those two main pieces of that comp plan. And, you know, in the last comprehensive plan in for the 2018 plan, we in Lexington had the most community engagement we've ever had for a comprehensive plan. The most robust outreach was done. They um, received feedback from over 10,000 community residents, which was huge. Uh, it just had never been that that public before. They'd never gotten so much public input. Um, and so it gave us this really exciting, robust vision for what Lexington was going to be, that we were going to not expand the urban services boundary, that we were going to focus on infill and redevelopment to meet our community's needs. And so then the hard work started, mm -hmm. um, you know, as, as, as we've been doing over the years. But then the next step was, how do we implement this? Um, and it can be challenging because five-year increments, it, it's hard. You know, oh, yeah. it, it can yeah. be really difficult to achieve such big goals in five-year increments. So mm -hmm. it is kind of, it's hard to believe a little bit that we're here again and, and talking about the comprehensive plan once again. But I think at the same time, the comprehensive plan allows Fayette County to define itself. It allows us to have this conversation every five years about who we are and where we're going and what our future holds and how we want to get there. And I think there is something really exciting about that as well. So why do you think there was so much engagement with the 20, well, I guess it was the 2018 plan? What what would be the reason that there was so much of an outpour of community um, feedback for you all? That's a really great question. I think it's um, there There are a couple different big factors. I think the, the first factor was that on the table, which I mentioned previously, um, was used for the first time for the comprehensive plan input. So that was the main reason. Um, on the table is a program that was actually originated in Chicago and came to Lexington um, through, I think, the Leadership Lexington program, actually. And so it was used in 2017 um, as a tool to gather community engagement. And so on the table is a phrase that, you know, refers to this. It was a one day event. People had conversations all over the community, in libraries, at work, in people's homes. And then they were asked specific questions about how the community was going to, to grow and change. And so that input was translated you know, the city analyzed that data and was able to use that to inform the comprehensive plan. So the fact that there was, um, you know, another tool by using on the table, I think we achieved something that we hadn't achieved in the past. Mm -hmm. um, because, you know, to some extent, there are, there are barriers to how, how much capacity there is to get this type of robust community input. And so using that tool was a really exciting development in how do we get more people's voices at the table? Mm -hmm. Um you know, as I mentioned, when we were founded in 2006, it was with this desire of we want more voices at the table weighing in on these on these conversations and these decisions. And so I think that people saw in 2017 the way that their voices could be heard. 
they they could actively see what making their voices heard would result in mm. because that's typically the challenge i think that people say well i'd love to offer you know my thoughts or or opinions or advocate for this but is it really being heard and is it really being you know is it really informing anything and i think um utilizing on the table as a tool is going to be a great way going forward. So I'm really excited. We're going to be doing this once again. And um, on the table, like I mentioned, will take place in April. And those conversations will inform the comprehensive plan. And and we're really excited. I serve on the advisory committee for On the Table on behalf of Fayette Alliance. Um, it's made up of you know about 30 other community stakeholders. And, and Civic Lex is guiding on the table process this year. And they have been really intentional and excellent about getting as many people to the table as possible. Um, and so I'm excited for, for what on the table is going to bring and how many different voices we're going to hear that get to weigh in on these important issues. Great. So um, to go off of that, all of us are involved in commercial real estate in some capacity and development. Obviously, we've mentioned development a few times, and a lot of the people that are listening to this podcast are going to want to know about the comprehensive plan. And another thing is um, a term that gets thrown out a ton since I started, you know, however many, five years ago, is the urban service boundary. So if we can, if we can explain what the urban service boundary is, that would be great, and how that blends in with the comprehensive plan, because that's just a facet of the comprehensive plan, correct? Absolutely. It, it is just a facet of the comprehensive plan, but often it is the facet of the comprehensive plan that gets the most attention. Um, so I think it's really important to, to talk about um, and for people to understand that it's a tool that we use as a community. I think sometimes it can be a really polarizing word that you know gets to, uh, to have a certain taboo, I threw it around um, a million times yeah. before I ever knew what it was. <laughs> I completely understand. I, you know, I saw that happen, and I coming to Fate Alliance um, and just really learning about what it meant and actually what it did and what the impacts were um, were so important for for my education. And that is also something that that we try and prioritize is saying this is what the urban services boundary is, and this is how it actually impacts our community. Um, and so the urban services boundary, and I'll probably shorten it to USB just because it's a little bit of a mouthful, um, but the USB is a boundary um, really with a twofold purpose. It limits development into our rural areas, um, but it also directs development inside of our urban area. And that Number one, limits the cost of infrastructure development to the, the cost to the community for infrastructure development outside of that boundary, as well as protects the productive farmland that exists outside of the boundary. Um, that, that, again, is the, the factory floor of our community and I think our identity um, as a community as well. And Lexington was the first city in the nation to put an urban services boundary in place in 1958. And we were really fortunate to have had the forethought to know that we needed that urban services boundary and that it would assist us in growing really thoughtfully and really responsibly. I've talked to um, some other people from around the country have have contacted us over the years to to talk about the work that we do. And a lot of that, a lot of those comments are that people wish that they had had urban services boundaries. As, as challenging as it can be here, um, I think that it was a really intentional and thoughtful way to force us to think about the way we were growing. Why, why do people wish that they had that? Like, what is what is the number one run in that people or the number one mistake that people make that that don't have ur urban service boundaries? That's a great question. And and in my experience and and with, you know, doing research for communities around the country is is urban sprawl. Um that is, it, you know, if policies are not put into place to um, responsibly, I think, grow a community and sustainably grow a community, um, a lot, a lot of what communities see is urban sprawl, um, and you know, it's an increase in transportation costs, and people are driven farther and farther outside mm -hmm. of our urban cores or our downtowns, um, and as a result, um, there are a lot of other challenges that come with that, and so. For Lexington, I think by instituting instituting that boundary and saying we're going to invest inside this line, um, and you know we're going to to draw that line essentially, um, but it's 
for so many reasons that that have resulted in the community that we have today. So to play devil's advocate, um, I know that the the typical response to that is, okay, well, if there's no more supply outside of the urban service boundary in terms of you can't develop certain things outside of the urban service boundary, that would typically increase demand for things inside that. So it kind of creates somewhat of a bubble. How does the Fayette Alliance address like rising land costs and just competitive environment of trying to develop within the urban service boundary? That's a great question. And I think something that is so important when we're talking about, you know, making informed choices. Um, And so two things on that. The first thing is that because of the urban services boundary, we have our urban service area and we have our rural service area. So outside the urban services boundary, land is considered rural. But I think something that's really important to point out, in addition to the economic factors we talked about a little bit earlier with with agriculture from our farmland, is that thousands of people and businesses exist in the rural area. So while it's designated rural, a lot of other things are happening there. Um, you know, some of our biggest job centers are in, are in our what's considered our rural area. We've got the Bluegrass Airport, Keeneland, the Bluegrass Stockyards. The Horse Park, Bluegrass Station Industrial Park. I mean, these are they're big centers of our economy that are technically located in our rural area. So, so number one is is that, um, and then the second part is, and I understand that question, and that's that's a conversation I have a lot. And I think because we do have this tool that sets us apart from other communities, that there's I, I think a line of thought that that tool is also the solution to our issues. And so at Fate Alliance, we really always go back to data and research. That was that was one of the pillars of our organization when we were founded, and we continue to um, believe that all of our advocacy and education and things like that is going to be based in data and research. And so a couple of things I think are really important to point out. Um, the University of Kentucky did a study in 2017 that was commissioned by the Lexington Board of Realtors to look specifically at the economic impacts of the urban services boundary and of our land use policy. Is it causing housing prices to go up because of that restriction on developable land? And I think this, um, you know, when when the University of Kentucky economists released this study, I thought it was just, it, this is so critical. So UK found that our land use policies and our urban services boundary are not causing housing prices to rise faster here than in Kentucky, in the country, or 18 other comparable cities um, to Lexington. In addition, it also found that if we were to expand the urban services boundary, that housing prices might increase more slowly um, or decrease slightly, but the effect would be temporary. And that is based on not only their market research, but historical data. So the last time we expanded our urban services boundary was in 1996. Um, We brought about 4,200 developable acres into the urban services boundary at that time. Um, 25 years later, only 51 or 50% of that land has been developed. So Mm. we've still got land that was brought inside the urban services boundary in 1996 that hasn't yet been developed. Um, And so I think that is, you know, again, evidence of what goes into that, what goes into that decision making um, and the impacts that our urban services boundary might have on housing, job growth um, and all these other factors. So in talking about the the land that's available within the urban service boundary right now, um, there's the the ideal uses of a, um, a very high uh, dwelling units per acre in downtown Lexington. Um, and there's also the things that are being not used or underutilized um, that's still in the uh, the current plan. What do those look like? What's the hope for for some of those um, remaining parcels that have been elected to be allowed to be developed on but have not? Right. No, that that's a great question. That's so much of what our work focuses on. Um, in 2017, we hired a, a national planning firm to do an analysis of what what do we have inside the urban services boundary? What is or has the potential to be developed? Um, and so that study found that there were you know <coughs> over 17,000 acres of a combination of vacant land, 
unused land, under underutilized land um, that had the potential for development. Now, of course, there's always this understanding that not all of that land is going to be developed. Everyone has the right to do with their land, um, you know, what they wish. But we did have the potential. And so for us, it was critical to see what the potential was to say, how can we incentivize through policy our community members to utilize that land to meet our needs, to, to build housing, um, you know, to promote job growth. And so I think what was important for us to recognize was that we have to update our zoning, our planning and zoning policies to enable that type of growth to happen. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a collaboration between everyone in this community to make that happen. It's advocacy groups like ours. It's the development community. It's the planning and zoning staff. It's the administration. And everyone has to work together with the understanding that if we want to incentivize the, this type of growth that's laid out in a comprehensive plan, this, this big vision, we've got to make our policies match up with the type of growth that we want to see. Um, and so, you know, getting back to how we can utilize those underutilized pieces of land. So we've got land in our expansion areas, um, you know, specifically that we, we certainly advocate should be used for um, for residential development, for full comprehensive communities, um, you know, creating communities that have housing and services and jobs and amenities. Um, and then on some of our underutilized pieces, which frankly are, are most often located on our major corridors in traditionally commercial areas um, that, you know, based on uh, the Florida area ratio and, and whether those are currently being utilized offer a lot of opportunity um, to provide a lot of mixed use. So how can we, you know, better use some of these pieces of property that are already close to transportation, already close to jobs, already close to services and amenities, and make them um, a better fit for what our community needs now? Um, and again, that really comes back to to updating those policies. And so, something that that we've been and tried to be uh, really proactive about is supporting and advocating for policies that do make that type of development easier. Um, and I, and and I really think that that's long term work. Um, a couple of those policies that we've advocated and supported, um, and that that have gone through and, and we're, we're seeing the fruits of, of that labor now as a community. Um, you know, one of those updates was reducing the Florida area ratio requirements for development and saying, you know, we want, we want developers to be able to build more <laughs> development on a lot. Mm -hmm. um, that is critical to making, to making it line out, you know, on the finance yeah, sheet. Yeah, incentivizes developers. Exactly, right. So how can we, how can we, from a policy standpoint, do that incentivize, do create those incentives, excuse me. Um, and so reducing that floor to area ratio requirement was a really uh, important one. Um, the second one was reducing parking requirements. And so um, what's already been passed is a reduction in, in parking requirements for new development um, for affordable units. And planning staff right now is currently working through another update for, for all development. So how do we make the way we require parking spaces um, more amenable to development now? We know based on research that parking requirements add this immense cost to developers' bottom line. And so how can we reduce the space that's required for parking so the development community can construct more housing units or more business space as opposed to creating parking that people don't actually utilize? Mm -hmm. um, and so really for us looking at those types of solutions to say, how can we incentivize the development that we want to see that we feel like is responsible um, and responsive to the community's needs at the same time. Um, and again, it, it takes a lot of, I think, collaborative community work to make that happen. Awesome. So with um, the USB, there's also the other acronym of a PDR. Yes. Um, could you break down the differences in those if they are synonymous, if they are different, um, if there is a, a landowner that has not sold their PDR rights um, but wants to develop? Is that possible? How do those interact? Sure. Um, that's a great question. I think the PDR program or the Purchase of Development Rights program um, is a, an often misunderstood program. Um, you know, it's it's separate from the Urban <coughs> Services Boundary. The Purchase of Development Rights program was created um, in 1999, actually, with the goal of 
protecting 50,000 acres in the rural service area um, and, and putting it under um, conservation into perpetuity. And so right now the the PDR program and this is a this is a city program so this is you know a Lexington Fayette urban county government program I think some some of the confusion comes to so I just want to clarify that that Fayette Alliance is not associated with the PDR program um, that's a question we get a lot which I understand because we do promote farmland um, but the PDR program came out of it was actually a result um, of the last expansion, the creation of the community stakeholders and leaders came together. It was uh, people across the board, developers, realtors, preservationists, um, people within the city came together to create the Purchase of Development Rights Program to, again, to conserve our most fertile farmland um, and also promote the protection of it into perpetuity. And so the goal of the PDR program, again, is to conserve specific types of property. And so the bluegrass region um, is really significant in that our soil is really significant. And so we have um, the most prime farmland in the bluegrass region in the state. It's a nationally significant soil. Um, and so, you know, to be eligible for the Purchase of Development Rights Program, to sell your rights and receive, you know, money in return, um, you have to meet certain criteria. Your land has to meet certain criteria. Um, so there are all these hoops to jump through for that. And also it's a federally funded program, which I think is something that, that a lot of people don't know. Um, LFUCG does allocate money to the PDR program, and that is matched by federal funding. And so federal requirements go along with the Purchase of Development Rights Program. And so, um, you know, we've LFUCG has to meet these federal requirements for the land that is ultimately protected. Um, and so those PDR farms, the majority of them are, are outside of the urban services boundary. They don't have to be. Um, you know, if there are farms inside the urban services boundary, that, that may certainly be the case as well. Um, and so I do think you're right that those get um, confused pretty often. Um, but I think it's important to, to differentiate between the two. And again, the purchase of development rights just essentially means that the development rights were sold and, and the land is protected from development. Um, so like I said, the ultimate goal of that program coming out of the 2000 um, Rural Land Management Program was to protect 50,000 acres. And right now, about a little bit over 30,000 acres um, are currently protected through that program. Did I answer your question? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. So, um, I think you gave us a really good understanding of urban sound, urban service boundary USB, um, and the comprehensive plan. Um, so I think people want to know, um, obviously you've addressed this in some capacity, but what Lexington looks like moving forward, like what is, um, the Fayette Alliance's stance on growth moving forward and, um, you know, what, what do people have to look forward to on like how our city is growing? Cause obviously the Fayette Alliance acts almost as an advisor, correct? Like you guys aren't actually making decisions for the city. Correct. Correct. Okay. So just, just no. to clear the air on that. Yes, absolutely. So Brittany Rothmeyer is not deciding, <laughs> but, right. um, but so what, what are, I don't know if you can even speak to this, but what are some of the things that are being suggested on this new comprehensive plan? from Fayette Alliance and what do people have to look forward to? Because obviously like nobody, in my opinion, nobody moves to Lexington because they want to live in a Chicago or New York. Like we don't want that. So I think that that's where sometimes development gets confused is the reason that everybody loves Lexington. I think Dudley actually said this on his podcast um, is that it's almost like a little mini national park and that you drive 15 minutes out from city center and you are all of a sudden on a horse farm on the most beautiful drive of your life at sunset. So it's not that people want to develop that, but what is Fayette Alliance suggesting with um, some, some of these underutilized lots and just the growth of Lexington moving forward? Those are, those are great questions and you know certainly something that, that we're talking about especially right now on a daily basis. I mean, I think I, again, I love this city. I'm excited for, for what's to come. But at the same time, and I think, again, this is a national conversation. It's been so interesting to me every you know day I'm getting Google or right of every article in, in the country that's speaking to these 
planning and zoning issues and, and the challenges of growth. And every city in the country is, is facing these challenges. And so Lexington is unique in so many ways. Um, and this constant question of, okay, how do we how do we retain our uniqueness, but also meet the needs? How do we build more housing? How do we, um, you know, improve transportation and all of these things that we have to do? And so this work is is hard. I, you know, I feel like I found myself saying that a lot um, and that as a community, we do in order to can you continue to love Lexington and enjoy Lexington, we have to have these hard conversations and challenging conversations about about how we're going to define ourselves moving forward. And so from, you know, Fate Alliance perspective, this year especially, we're working on a few um, uh, on a few main things. I would say number one is policies which encourage a diversity of housing types. So we know one of, you know, one of the very top concerns for people is capital A affordable housing, but also housing affordability. Um, and so how do we meet the needs of our growing community, right? We know the question is not if we're growing, it's just how, how are we going to do it? And so for us, it's advocating for policies which are supporting more diverse housing options. Um, you guys, you may have talked about or, or heard about, you know, this term missing middle housing. How are we going to meet the needs? And then we've got, I think something we also have to recognize is these um, enormous demographic shifts in, in who our city is going to be made up of. And it's going to be, you know, the majority of our population is going to be over 65 or in that 20 to 29 age range. And how are we filling in and meeting the needs of all these different demographic shifts here in Lexington? Um, and so I think from a housing perspective, it's how do we incentivize different types of housing to be built? We're always going to need single family homes. We're always going to need apartments. But how do we fill in the middle? How do we um, create policies that incentivize and promote the development of, of townhouses and fourplexes and duplexes um, and these different types of housing to meet the needs that we have? I know as a student, um, when I was in college and I was in law school, I lived in a duplex. I lived in a single family home. I lived in a fourplex. Um, you know, as a professional later, when I could, I was able, you know, to purchase a single family home in that same neighborhood. How do we create those housing options in more places in Lexington so that people can enjoy that, that lifestyle? I could walk to the fourplex I used to live in. That is not, um, something we see in that many parts of Lexington. How can we increase what we're seeing in the different types and diversity of home choices that we're seeing in Lexington, I think is a really important point of looking forward into how we're going to grow and change to accommodate the growth that we're seeing. People want to live here. People want to experience Lexington. How can we make that happen? That's going to be a key part of it. The second is focusing on transportation and infrastructure. Um, we have been looking at those major corridors and we've got Nicholasville Road, we've got Richmond Road, we've got Winchester Road, um, that offer probably the most development potential of all throughout our community. How can we better utilize our transportation systems? Um, how can we create more walkable communities? How can we ensure that moving forward, you don't need a car to get everywhere in Lexington? Um, and, and of course, that that's not going anywhere. We, we all know that that's going to be a prime way that we're traveling from place to place. But I think looking towards the future, Figuring out how we can, um, again, incentivize and, and, and create policies that um, incentivize development around transportation, making more walkable communities, more transit-oriented development. We saw that with the Imagine Nicholasville Road Plan that came out of the 20, 2018 Comprehensive Plan um, and was passed unanimously by the Planning Commission last year. Imagine Nicholasville Road was the first major corridor study, uh, and it really outlined how we could reimagine a Nicholasville Road corridor to say, how can we utilize all of the land that exists on this corridor close to transportation, close to bus routes, um, close to people's jobs and services and restaurants and things like that to meet the future needs of our community? Um, so that's going to be a big one. Something that is going to be started later this year is going to be uh, a corridor study of New Circle Road, actually, which is going to be really exciting. How can we utilize, you know, we all know this New Circle Road, the circle, mm -hmm. um, you know, around Lexington. How can we better utilize the land 
in those corridors to, to meet the needs that we have now and recognizing that the demographics and the market demands are different than they were um, in the way that we used to use those areas of our of our community. Um, and so I really think focusing on the housing aspect, focusing on transportation, focusing on equity. How are we looking at our community and saying, are our land use policies equitably serving all the different aspects of our community? Um, you know, as we think about how we put in place land use policies that do invest in communities that have been historically disinvested, but also ensure that that residents can stay there. The residents are not displaced when investment is put into different communities, when gentrification is happening. How do we put proactive policies in place to prevent people from being displaced? And that's what it will take. It will take proactive policies to do that. Um, and in addition, I think comprehensively looking at our quality of life investments. We've got some really exciting things coming to Lexington. We've got Town Branch Park. Um, you know, we have an exciting look at, you know, what what could happen downtown on a parking lot. Um, you know, we've got we've got 30 miles of, of trails that have been completed in Lexington. We've got the Legacy Trail. We have we have so many assets that make this such a, a wonderful place to live. Um, you know, Fate Alliance advocates for continuing moving forward, a really comprehensive look at quality of life. Let's look at this from a from a community-wide standpoint. How can our quality of life investments correlate with our housing investments and our transportation investments and our infrastructure investments. Um, I think those all tie so closely together. And then the last one that I'll that I'll talk about, um, and you'll stop me if I'm going on and on. Um, the last one that I'll talk about is economic growth. So we know to be a successful community that we need jobs and we need, um, we need revenue, we need economic growth. And so how can we um, continue to support that. And I think this year, especially um, and, and in the past, Bay Alliance has supported the historic land swap with the University of Kentucky, which gave 250 acres to the city of Lexington specifically for economic development. And that's land that's located out at Cold Stream Research Park. And so 50 acres of that land is shovel ready for jobs. The remaining 200 acres um, is, is Greenfield. And so the question now is, how can we activate that land? And so um, there has been an infrastructure master planning study done of how to get that land shovel ready so that jobs can come here to Lexington. And so Fate Alliance supported the allocation of the $17 million um, of our COVID relief funds that it would take to build out infrastructure on that property. I think that that has just come up, you know, with the city council where that ends up as far as what will be allocated to that infrastructure build out. We're not sure, um, but we know that that's really critical. That's just another piece that's all fitting together for the success of our community going forward. So um, the those are just some of the some of the um, policies and, and focus areas for us as we move forward. We've got a lot to be hopeful for. Our future is so bright, um, but there's a lot of work to be done in the meantime. So um, we're really excited about the year to come and all of the different ways that we'll be supporting these initiatives. Um, we're going to be releasing an advocacy agenda in the coming month or so that really lays out in each of these categories what policies we're going to be supporting and the ways that we're going to be trying to achieve um, the policies that do incentivize all these changes that are necessary to, to keep making us successful. Mm -hmm.